Hello and welcome to this Net Zero Investor Podcast. I'm Monica Woodley. Institutional investors, particularly asset owners, have been at the forefront of not only integrating ESG principles into their investment processes, but also using their clout to push for change. Investors are becoming more sophisticated and forceful in their stewardship, engaging with company management directly and in collaboration with other investors through organizations like the UNPRI, as well as putting forward shareholder proposals at AGMs. But their focus remains on changing the companies themselves, rather than the laws and regulations that shape company behavior. Investors could, arguably, get more bang for their buck using their time and money to influence policy. So why aren't they? To help us understand the pros and cons of company engagement versus policy advocacy, I'm joined by Nawar Al-Sadi, founder and CEO of Kanada Advisors, an ESG advisory firm. Welcome, Nawar. Yes, hello, Monica. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Good to see you again. So I guess let's start off by discussing why we've seen kind of the mixed results from company engagement in, in recent times. The latest AGM season was a particularly disappointing one, yet engagement still seems to be the preferred strategy above all other forms of influence. First, why do you think we're seeing such disappointing results from engagement? Then why do you think investors are still focusing there rather than exploring other avenues? I would say engagement is is similar to democracy. It's the best best system we have of all other bad choices. <laughs> In a sense, investors have a binary choice: either they should divest or engage. And and divestment is not something a lot of asset owners and managers would like to pursue for a variety of reasons. So they opt for for the engagement channel. And engagement obviously can be effective, but engagement. An effective engagement program is hard to put in place and execute. And I would say that the difficulty is rising because the low-hanging fruit of, of engaging with companies around things like you know, ESG disclosure or just basic communication around sustainability, that time has passed. And now mm-hmm. investors have to engage around substance. They do need to convince, pressure, incite companies to change strategies. And that's that's an order of magnitude more difficult than getting them, for example, to disclose their carbon emissions. And then I would also say, and a continued challenge with engagement is that we don't have appropriate metric, metrics to measure progress because it's sometimes hard to gauge the influence of a specific investor on a company. And in certain circles, that's, that can kind of prolong the inertia of conversation without outcome. It could create an illusion of progress that uh, I would say certain actors would, would not rally against because it just it does create the impression that they are trying to drive change, even though there are no real results. But you know, from an asset management perspective, you do need to justify your fees. So, I mean, that's a bit more of a cynical reason but I would say there are structural reasons and there are other political reasons why it's not progressing as fast. I think that's a really good point that it, it's difficult to measure the impact of, of engagement. A lot of asset owners I speak to, that's a particular challenge. And you know, or some are getting to the point of actually requesting that companies explain exactly how their influence has resulted in change. But yeah, it's it's not a straightforward process. Let's look at, uh, I guess, how you think that perhaps company engagement could change to become more effective, or whether you think that we need to, to have a kind of complete rethink of net zero influence. 
I think there are ways to make engagements more effective. And, and those who have listened to this podcast with Net Zero Investor or other writings I have kind of published around this topic is I do feel that there is an asymmetry of information between companies and investors. And this asymmetry create, makes it very hard for investors to be effective because if you think about it, an engager is usually looking at hundreds of companies. They're trying to address a multitude of issues and they usually don't have the time and resources to dedicate, I would say, sufficient intellectual capital to understand what, what a company needs to do while a company is fully dedicated to managing its own business. Long story short, from that dimension, there is a lack of resources. And that's a difficult problem to solve because you have to raise fees basically to give asset managers the capability to engage more effectively and also asset owners. Maybe technology can help to some extent, but there is there is a big ask around engagement, but uh, there is pressure on fees on the other side. So that makes it very hard to, to reconcile the two. So outside of kind of rethinking the whole fee structure around engagement, I also think for engagements to be more effective, they need to be also more ambitious. Asset owners and managers tend to shy away from confrontational engagements. They often talk about engagements as if they were some kind of friendly partnership between investor and investee company. And yes, that's good. And it's good to have a partnerships. But if you do have a substantive difference around the risk on climate, for example, well, you can't continue to have a partnership with the existing leadership team as an asset owner or manager or a shareholder. Uh, you do need to exercise your full right and you may have to challenge the the board of directors as to the legitimacy of that board. Now, very few asset owners and managers want to be embroiled in proxy battles. So companies are aware of that reluctance to uh, to pressure. So this creates, I would say, an added layer of difficulty. And then obviously the, the political environment around engaging on ESG issue favors a more lower key conversation with companies, especially in the United States. And then finally, I would say that Engagement on the policy front within what I would call a multi-vector engagement strategy is something that can be pursued far more effectively, but it's not being done to date. And I think this is something accessible and doable. And I think asset owners should move in a direction of a multi-vector or multi-dimensional engagement. I'm happy to expand on that a bit later. Okay. Let's first, I guess, look at, at policy advocacy itself and what you think a good strategy looks like there. And I'm particularly interested in, in what might be the role of asset owner, asset manager alliances to work to influence public policy. So uh, policy engagement is critically important, especially when we talk about systematic issues that exceed the purview of a single company. On the other hand, policy engagement is very difficult for a number of reasons. For starters, there are democratic implications. Institutions cannot dictate policy at large scale because they are just one stakeholder in a political system that represent multiple parties. So political institutions and policymakers have to be attentive to the interest of multiple stakeholders when they take decisions. Obviously, institutions have a voice, but it's a single voice among others. The ability to pressure policymakers makers and institutions is vastly different compared to a shareholder that can put a shoulder as a can demand a board to be changed. Obviously, you cannot do that at the institutional level. I view good policy advocacy on the institutional side as not prescriptive, but instructional. I think institutions can do a good job of explaining where the bottlenecks are 
in terms of sustainability uh, policies. They can offer technical support in areas such as ESG disclosure. They can outline issues such the such as the the restrictions imposed by antitrust regulation around the ability of institutions to work together. This has been a major issue with, uh, I think, the net zero, what's called the net zero insurance alliance. And it, it did lose a lot of members because of antitrust concerns. And that's because these laws are not designed to prevent sustainability collaboration, but they could be interpreted in that way. So I think engaging on these issues and, and, and helping policymakers define what's a sustainability engagement or collaboration and what is an antitrust issue can also help. So I, I would say surgical instructional engagement with policymakers around these issues could be quite productive. And I would also think institutions need to be more vocal and more engaging when it comes to the rising rhetoric against ESG and sustainability overall. There was actually a paper that was published this month by the Confidence Board in the US, and it looked at the at where the backlash, the ESG backlash is coming from, and the actors that were identified were federal policymakers and state policymakers. Yet only 23% of companies, and that includes financial institutions, engage with these entities around their ESG policies. So I think more dialogue around why ESG integration, for example, create value, would add value in a political dialogue, which we can call political advocacy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the amount of backlash is, has been quite astonishing. I wrote a report on that for The Economist and just a lot of misinformation there, which I, I do think that institutional investors could be very helpful in, in clearing up um, and, and just uh, explaining exactly how um, a sustainable investment strategy is a good thing for everyone. Well, let's let's go back now to a concept that you introduced earlier of, of the, the multi-vector influence strategy. Could you tell us a little bit more of what this would look like? To me, a multi-vector investment engagement strategy, or maybe you can call it multi-dimensional engagement strategy, is a tool that's not really being deployed widely or, or at all within especially large multi-asset owners or pension funds. What's a, a multi-vector influence strategy is a strategy that engages around a specific thematic issue from multiple levers. So if you think about a company or a group of companies, engagements with these companies around a specific issue is often undertaken in a linear manner. It's here's the engager and here's the company and we are talking about a specific issue. But companies don't exist in isolation. They exist in what I call a circle of influence. There are other stakeholders that impact that company and that would be the policymakers, the regulators, the customers, the lenders, the suppliers. Now, to a large extent, the engager has uh, touch points or uh, pressure points on those stakeholders as well. But often these channels are not used. So an effective multi-vector engagement would entail engaging with the company through already multiple channels within that company. So for example, speaking to the chief sustainability officer, that would be the sustainability channel, speaking to the investment relation team around a proxy voting and so on, and that would be the equity shareholder channel, speaking to the treasurer and the CFO around the refinancing debt or raising debt, and that will be engaging at the fixed income corporate debt channel. Then you can engage with policymakers around the same issue, and that could be regarding regulation impacting these companies that are tied to sustainability or ESG issues. But in certain cases, and that's where I find really interesting, is that 
multi-asset owner might also be a supplier or a customer to that company by virtue of its shareholding in other companies that sell or buy from that entity. And this relationship, it's often not recognized or well understood within pension funds. And I can use a, a specific example. When I, working, I was working in Canada post-pension plan, we were engaging with large grocers in Canada. One brand is called uh, Canadian Tire. Another one is called Lablas. We were engaging with them around their climate emissions. But at the same time, our real estate arm was a landlord to a lot of these entities. Mm-hmm. And we could have engaged them as well as landlords around their emissions, but there was no structures internally to coordinate in that way. And I think this observation does replicate itself with other uh, multi-asset owners as well. Okay. So um, what do you think is really needed for asset owners and managers to adopt this kind of approach effectively? Are there kind of different skills and tools that they would need to enhance and or, or develop in order to be more successful? I think the first thing they need to do is they need to pursue a holistic engagement strategy, not a directional engagement strategy. So they need to think about the issue from a a multiple stakeholder perspective. When they're looking at a list of portfolio holdings, they they need to develop the capabilities to understand the web of stakeholders that are impacting these companies. They need to understand their relationship within these companies themselves across asset classes. A lot of this is is a data bottleneck. A lot of these entities don't understand the commercial relationship that exists within their portfolios. Also, they don't have clarity on the different regulators and policymakers that are impacting different parts of the portfolio. So I would say the first step that is needed is additional clarity on the commercial relationship between the portfolio companies, clarity on the regulators and the policymakers that are impacting these companies, and then ultimately identifying where engagement can be more effective. So that would be one step in that direction, just additional data. The second one would be a better internal coordination between the private asset class, the public asset class, between fixed income and the equity team around engaging in a systematic way around the same issue and not identifying different priorities. So the problem you have here is that pension fund may have a very large equity holding in a specific company and makes it a priority to engage with it. But the the corporate debt team may have a small debt exposure to that company. So it doesn't make it a priority. So it would engage with another large debt holding, thinking that that is what's important for that department. So I think internal coordination around tackling the same issue from different vectors is is critically important. That also ties to governance on how engagement issues are decided and responsibilities are distributed. And uh, I would say developing a set of KPIs that are also short-term and long-term to reflect the different nature of engaging with different parties. Obviously, you're not going to have the same KPIs for policy engagement as you would have with you know, engaging directly with companies. So I think these are some of the steps that can be put in place to pursue a, a multi-vector or multi-dimensional engagement strategy. Okay. And just to, um, I guess, to, to summarize, I guess, what are a few key takeaways for organizations that are serious about uh, making a positive change through a combination of influence approaches? I would say the first key t- takeaway is that if you're not engaging on policy, it's 
it's probable that somebody else is engaging on policy. So you do have to keep in mind that the fact that you are not doing something doesn't mean that somebody else is doing something that might be counter to your interest. I would say all engagements should be approached from a, from a multi-vector, multi-dimensional standpoint in order to maximize impact and understand where the risks exist from a sustainability standpoint across asset classes. I do think that the mindset of engagement should change uh, from I think I alluded to that from a, a directional linear to a circular approach or a, a multidimensional approach. I do think organizations need to develop far better coordination around sustainability issues and sustainability risks and how they cut across asset classes and how actions in one side of the portfolio can impact the other side of the portfolio. That ties often back to incentives because you might be doing something that is harmful to other asset classes, but advantaging your asset class in the immediate or short term. So I would say having that holistic understanding of risk and then tackling them and engaging them holistically also makes sense. And I would also say there is a financial aspect and there's a non-financial aspect to ESG and sustainability uh, engagements. And understanding how these aspects impact the target companies themselves and the stakeholders that Mm -hmm. impacts that company does help asset owners and asset managers develop and pursue more effective engagement strategy, understanding where everybody is and which kind of messaging uh, they need to pursue or, or have as they continue these conversations. But anyways, we only have 20 minutes and that's a very complex <laughs> topic to tackle. So hopefully we scratch the surface and give some uh, your audience uh, good ideas about how they could advance their engagement strategies. Yes, yes, uh, a, a complex topic we could talk about for ages, but I, I think you've given people some good food for thought and some some good ideas about how to get started. So thank you very much. Good to speak with you as always. My pleasure. Thank you.